Despite all the technology we talk about here on the future of agriculture, many farmers still don't have access to basic mechanization. In episode 276, Agco's Louisa Parker-Smith applauded efforts to bring more innovative models for machinery use in Africa startups operating in that space using technology like Hello Tractor, where uh, you're able to hire out machines, you're able to maybe have like a machinery ring type situation, uh, working with cooperatives and so on. The Uber for tractors, I've heard Hello Tractor called, which seems like a noble cause, but also a logistical nightmare. CEO Jahil Oliver has unlocked the secret, though, through fleet management technology and empowering local booking agents to aggregate farmer demand and manage the transaction. The results are incredible. About 55% of our customers receive tractor services for the first time in their lives through Hello Tractor. These are low-income farmers, 87% living at or below the poverty line. The booking agents bring farmers and tractor owners together at the local level while creating independent businesses of their own. You're going from pre-booking agent a couple bucks a day to making as a booking agent anywhere from 500 to a couple thousand dollars a month. Hello Tractors, Jaheel Oliver joins me to talk about this intersection of high impact and commercial returns on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, Ag Nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week I get to sit down with the farmers, founders, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. Today's episode is about how Hello Tractor is bringing tractors to farmers in developing countries. Or as Jaheel Oliver likes to put it, they're bringing power, tractors, to the people, farmers. This is a tremendous story of figuring out the logistics of how to maximize the use of farm machinery where it's needed most and deploying the technology and the processes to make it happen at scale. At a real basic level, Hello Tractor is an agricultural technology company that connects smallholder farmers across the emerging markets with farm equipment owners that have excess capacity through technology. Jahil started the company six years ago in Nigeria and has since moved to Kenya. Hello Tractor is now operating in 13 countries in Africa, a few countries in Asia, as well as Guatemala and Jamaica. Today's episode is really worth listening to all the way through, whether or not you think the problems of the developing world directly apply to you. It's not only a great story here, but there are some fascinating insights about the power of this technology that Hello Tractor is using, as well as how innovations in this industry can be applied to farms of all sizes. Jahil grew up in Cleveland and started his career in investment banking. He became really interested in ways to use finance to work with more marginalized communities and started volunteering his time and expertise in deal structuring to microfinance organizations. After the financial crisis, he committed full time to this work and left the U.S. first to Afghanistan. Through these efforts, he says he realized that the global poor work in agriculture and mechanization is a key missing piece to helping to alleviate poverty. So, He's applying his finance background to pull commercial levers to address this really entrenched problem. I begin our conversation with really a simple question. Why tractors? Well, in microfinance, you have what's called solidarity groups, where the distribution of credit becomes more efficient because these groups come together. They may take out a loan together and then share the capital, right? So you don't have to make 500 small loans. You can make one large loan to 500 people. 
And if you think about collaborative consumption of a tractor, it's really no different. Farmers naturally organize in co-op systems and collectively they can pool resources to book a service for their group. And so I thought there was an interesting distribution opportunity there. Simultaneously, if you look at the economics of of tractor services, it's a good business, right? It's attractive. You know, if you run your fleet the right way and you got trained operators who are going to take care of your equipment, technology is important. That's where we came in to help with the fleet management piece and uh, clustering the demand and making sure you know exactly who your farmers are in advance of the season. But if you line up all those things, it's a good business and you can get above market returns. So we knew that was a nice intersection of high impact and commercial market returns. And that's where we wanted to be at that intersection. And how do you start? I mean, there's plenty of people who have the best of intentions. They know these problems exist. They think that this should work, right? We should be able to help. But then the I think most likely the scale of the problem just weighs them down and they don't even know like, where do I start? Where do I take the first bite, so to speak? How did you get through that? And what were those early steps you took that started to build traction? Well, to be honest with you, Tim, some of my motivation came from just ignorance on how deeply entrenched some of these problems were. (laughs) And, you know, I bootstrapped the company. So, you know, once you invest your money, you're kind of stuck. So that was that was one part of it. But I think we did get some early quick wins that was just very motivating. I mean, it's not as if, you know, you're selling a bottle of shampoo or, you know, it's like, yeah, that's cool. Like you can wash your hair now. But when you're getting equipment that allows a grower to plant, you know, 40 times faster, maybe their kid is now able to go to school and not have to, you know, take a month off to help the parents in the field. And at a reduced cost, it costs less than manual labor. So you start to see that impact and it's a motivating thing. And so it helps to fuel you through the difficult times. And, you know, when you're starting a business, technology or otherwise, there's always going to be those days where you just really need to find motivation outside of the walls of your business because it just gets tough. And I think for us, that motivation is bringing real value to our growers and and seeing them succeed and access services. About 55 percent of our customers receive tractor services for the first time in their lives through Hello Tractor. These are low income farmers, 87 percent living at or below the poverty line. So this is, is meaningful work. And even when you have a tough day, there was a farmer that received that service. And like one tough day for you, if you solve their problem, you just solved a tough month for them. Right. So. It's a pretty good trade-off, I think, when you look at it that way. And how are they paying for the service? From my limited experience in West Africa, just having money to pay for any input at all was very, very difficult. And so how are they paying for the service, or is that part of the problem you're solving for them? Selectively. At times, we work with microfinance institutions who crowd in liquidity to help with that problem. We also work with large corporates like a Olam, like a you know Rise Sugar, biggest sugar company on the continent, or at least East Africa. Diageo, they have massive outgrower networks, and for them, it's mission critical for their supply chain that their farmers mechanize. When they come to Hello Tractor, they know they can access 
hundreds of tractors and not just, you know, one or two individual contracts spread across, you know, all these different small businesses. So that's real value for them. And they're willing to front the cost of the service as long as it's reliable, affordable for the grower and ultimately helping them achieve higher yields. And so it's through partnership oftentimes. And then, of course, we focus on farmers when there is no partner. We have to focus on farmers that are willing and able to pay. And uh, obviously, establishing your crop on time is so important. The farmers, they often find money to pay for the service. And, and it's often a cost replacement to manual labor, which is about 3x the cost of mechanization. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you find the tractors themselves? So maybe it's evolved over time, but are these tractors owned by people who are already renting them out? Is that already a business model they're comfortable with? Or are you trying to convince people who happen to own a tractor to also kind of rent it out? It's a little bit of both, to be honest. We have actual farmers who have excess capacity that they want to sell into the market by being contractors. We have purely financial investors who buy equipment and all they want to do is contract. And if you look at, you know, just even step pan out a bit and look at tractor sales across all of the emerging markets, it's a couple million tractors sold a year to people who contract. That's the biggest customer base for compact and utility, basically sub 100 horsepower tractors. North America is a kind of a unique beast. You know, you got Brazil, Argentina. These markets are, are relatively unique in that people are buying, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for a piece of equipment. They keep it on their farm. They wouldn't let anybody touch their tractor, much less contract with it. Maybe some of the contract sprayers. I mean, that's like a thing in North America. Maybe some of the, the harvesting operations are contract based, but for the most part, you know, farmers, if they can, they want to own their equipment. In the emerging markets, it's the complete opposite. We came in to bring technology just to support things that were already happening, but bring transparency, reduce incidences of fraud and machine misuse through the IoT piece, and then boost the revenue through the marketplace where we're organizing that last mile on behalf of the tractor owner, planning their routes and ensuring that they have a fully booked schedule before they leave home base for the year, and then the tools to monitor the machine as they're servicing those bookings. Yeah, talk a little bit more about the tech piece. So the technology you bring to the table, maybe walk us through if you're you're working with somebody who owns a tractor for the first time, you know, what are you going to bring in there and how is it going to provide them the assurances they need that everything's going to work out? Yeah, well, it starts with a GPS monitoring device, telematics, that's fitted onto the machine. It gives the, the equipment owner uh, visibility into the machine location, how much work it completed on a daily basis with reporting, fuel monitoring and management, and fuel theft is a big issue in our markets. Operator performance, right? How is my operator performing with the machine? Are the customers satisfied? And what we've done is we, we started with these off-the-shelf monitoring devices. We're not a hardware company and we can't compete with hardware companies because they're really good at really cheap monitoring devices. They're all over the world and there are vendors in the U.S. that we work with as well as some of the Eastern European vendors. Quality, low-cost devices. But what we do is put 
uh, analytics layer on top of that really basic GPS data and engine data, ignition data, all that, our engine RPMs. And with that analytics layer, we translate that those raw data points into insights that are really valuable to somebody who owns farm equipment, right? So that's where it starts. And then once we get them onboarded as equipment owners using our fleet management, we then offer them this marketplace to opt into where they can increase their revenue by servicing farmers who are booking for services. And it's often not the farmers booking directly. Usually it's a community-based agent using our application to book these farmers. And they play a really important role. They're helping to organize and group that demand of farmers needing the same service at the same time in the same vicinity. They also make sure the fields are clear, right? In the U.S., you might grab a bunch of guys from the the local high school football team, I suppose, to make sure all the rocks and roots are clear before you bring in your equipment. In our markets, these are the booking agents. They're that first line of defense to protect the equipment. And then they help with the transactions because these are still cash-based economies in most instances. Not Kenya. Kenya is different, but all the other countries are still cash-based for the most part. And so they also help with the transaction, make sure farmers are prepaying for the service when the service is completed, making sure the farmer is satisfied before the tractor owner receives their payment. So that's kind of the the supply chain, if you will. It's really fascinating. I mean, you're developing a fleet management technology that's probably independently, you know, really valuable. And I, I think the way you're using it is fascinating. So so how are you vetting those people to make sure that they do have the farmers behind them? They are clearing the fields. You know, they are legit. How are you kind of vetting those people? That's a wonderful question. And it's an evolving answer. Okay. We first of all start with, do you even have a smartphone that can handle apps, right? Because, you know, in these markets, smartphone penetration is growing at just crazy rates. What they don't tell you, the subtext to that is these are like $40 smartphones, right? You can't even you can't even download Facebook on that thing, right? So so we first need to make sure they have uh, smartphones that can handle apps. And the apps do a number of things. You walk the plot boundary, so you're collecting the geofence boundary of the plot so you can see when the tractor enters the plot, if it's on time. You can see when the job is complete, right? Because you can compare the GPS on the tractor with the GPS coordinates of the field. And so that device needs to have a good GPS antenna. That's not on a $30 smartphone, right? It needs to have those things. So that's the first thing. The second thing is they do go through a training with our sales support staff. Those folks are out in the field working with these booking agents. They take them through, in in many instances, a multi-day training, but at least one day of this is how you use the technology. This is how you make bookings attractive. And there's a social element of accountability to this as well, where if I keep sending you my tractor and these fields aren't properly cleared, and the information that you're booking is not consistent with reality, I'm not sending my tractor to you anymore. Like, I don't have to send it to you. There is pent up demand in our markets. That's the biggest challenge for us is that there's just not enough tractors. That's what actually brought us into the financing of new new equipment and some of the partnerships that we have to support that work, because there's always a dearth of tractors and pent up demand for services every single season. 
But that's kind of how we identify, train, onboard the booking agent. And then the accountability comes with just doing your job. And when you do your job, you're paid a commission. If you don't, you lose access to tractors and you're forced out of the market. And in that way, it's not that different from most marketplaces. Okay. So the booking agent is paid a commission then um, yeah, absolutely. as well? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. And, and with the tractor financing program, one of the the really attractive incentives is once you reach a certain threshold of farmers booked in your network, you can actually pre-qualify to own your own tractor, right? And so you're going from, you know, pre-booking agent, maybe you're just unemployed making nothing, but usually not much, a couple bucks a day, to making as a booking agent anywhere from 500 to a couple thousand dollars a month. And, and a couple thousand dollars a month is definitely on the, the far end, but it does happen. And then once you become a tractor owner, you've got a real business on your hands. I mean, a 75 horsepower tractor can earn you, after debt service, twelve thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a year in profit, right? And now this is somebody who might have, you know, might not have been employed two years ago. So that's a huge opportunity. And that's exciting to be able to dangle that type of carrot in front of some of these ambitious entrepreneurs working to organize that last mile and you will reward achievement. And I just think that's the way it should be in a marketplace, right? That's been working well for us. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you shared that about the booking agent because that that's a cool story. And I imagine that's already happened. You've already had people kind of go from scratch, start becoming a booking agent, and then eventually get their own tractor as a result of your program, your financing program. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a couple really cool stories. We started working with uh, the World Food Program, right, under the United Nations. They actually just won a Nobel Peace Prize, so congrats to them. But one of their initiatives is to build out local food systems. You know, historically, they would import corn from the U.S., wheat, and dump it into these markets, which would really suppress prices and make it very difficult for commercial markets to to emerge and for, for our local farmers to compete with this cheaper product coming in. And so they started to, to build out these local food systems through these agent networks, almost like replicating what we have in extension in the U.S., particularly in the early 1900s, but doing it now in Africa with these more commercially oriented, because we don't have a land grant system in Kenya and all these markets. But supporting these folks and in, in supporting farmers, but doing it in a commercial way. So they brought us a ton of really great booking agents who already were comfortable with technology. And what's really cool is they were also forward thinking in running training programs, field demos to support things like no-till agriculture and climate smart, climate resiliency mechanization, doing things like subsoiling, breaking the hard pan, chiseling. So the booking agents would then go out and work with these farmers who've now been educated on these new practices who are now demanding these services. Now, this equipment does not exist in the market yet, right? But they're booking the services, which then served as a signal for contractors to say, well, it's 500 hectares that just got booked in Busia County for deep ripping. I'm going to buy a ripper, right? And so we started to see these investments in this more innovative equipment. 
And now some of those very same agents are getting, you know, their own tractor with these CA implements to service the demand that they were actually responsible for generating. It's a great kind of evolution of somebody who just came in as a basically with a cell phone. That's what they had. And now they were, you know, making good money as a booking agent and now graduating to a fleet owner owning a tractor that costs, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. It's incredible. It is incredible. Wow. Uh, man, that's got to get you fired up. Just thinking about that. I mean, that's really cool. Yeah, it, I mean, it really gets you going. It's weird, like, to get really excited about some of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, not so much this. I mean, this is like opportunity, you know, where I think what a lot of people may not realize that haven't been there, at least in my perception, is that in some of these places, you can really sense a lack of hope because it doesn't feel like there are opportunities. And that's a huge deal to see somebody, you know, go through something like that. It's incredible. Yeah. I think the insight that we had was we know we needed to prove the value proposition for the the core technology of like, can we build low cost fleet monitoring and management that our customers just want to buy from us, right? That was like step one. Then step two is, could we organize these last mile markets, which is just infinitely more difficult? And that has nothing to do with technology. Technology works fine. The challenge is that human beings are very unpredictable creatures. And so when you try and organize them into groups and get them to cooperate and do things like book tractor services together and plan in advance, There's some disconnect there that I still quite haven't figured out yet. And then where the insight came was as long as we had confidence in the the stability of the technology solution on both sides of the market, the ability to book the farmers and then the ability to, to monitor and manage the equipment, the financing, bringing liquidity into a market with no liquidity was such a stimulant to the marketplace And the tech helps to secure the capital because you now understand where the real value drivers are. You understand how to protect the collateral and monitor that equipment to make sure it's performing against plan. You know, you know how to get payments out of that system because we've been doing it for the last six, seven years without financing. Right. And so then when you add financing, you know enough about the business to at least mitigate a lot of the risk. Right now, it's still risk and it's still going to be some defaults and things that happen that aren't anticipated. But you've minimized that without being credit first and and finding yourself with an entire book of bad loans because nobody's going to turn out credit in this market. But if you can put credit behind parts of the business that you understand deeply, that can accelerate activities and behaviors that you really need to see. Like, for example, when we launched the tractor finance product, we had consecutive record-breaking months in booking activity because now the agents were like, wait, like I was booking already just for my 5% commission, but now I'm going to really go after it because I can own a tractor for $40,000. Like that, I'm not sleeping. I'm booking farmers, <laughs> you know? And that accelerated that farmer acquisition piece. And because it's that accelerated demand, is going to be met with a new tractor that's going to service the demand. You're keeping the market in equilibrium. I hope I'm not like wonking out too much, but it's a good way to keep supply and demand in balance, but put the incentives right where they need to be 
in that kind of last mile coordination piece, because that's the most expensive, most tricky part of the business. But the most attractive incentive is credit to buy a tractor. So align it to that activity. Right. And one question I always have whenever I think about this sort of like equipment sharing is, but doesn't everybody need it at the same time? Like, how do you get around that problem where like everyone needs the equipment at the same time? And uh, how do you make sure that it's used efficiently so that the next person can use it and maximize that short window? It's, it's almost impossible. Okay. I think in the environment that we're in, there's such a pent up demand for services. You know, in the U.S., you're looking at farmers who the season starts, they're going to get their crop established within a a matter of days. They're ready to go. And in these markets, the window is much wider because their alternative was manual labor. So when they start to see those rains consistently, that's when they go out into the field. And it's for a hectare of land. It's about the size of a, a international soccer field. It's going to take you about a month. So waiting an extra week for a tractor versus doing it manually in the hot sun for a month, you know, quality service is a relative term. So <laughs> quality and timely are relative terms, I will say. And so I think what we need to do, though, as a company and why we also got into the tractor finance business is to bring in the de-risking mechanism so that more equipment can come in and the farmers can get closer to that ideal service date. But I'll be honest with you, the biggest challenge that we have and the biggest frustration that our growers have with us is tractors just not being available because there's not enough. And, you know, if you got a 75 horsepower tractor doing plowing services for a month, you're not going to be able to do more than 90 to 100 hectares, no matter how hard you push it, right? So you're doing work in countries where there are millions of hectares that need these services, and you only have a small handful of tractors. Right now, we got we got a little over 3,000 tractors and combines on the platform. It's not nearly enough. And that's the biggest frustration. I think the farmers appreciate that we really do try and we'll do anything in our power to meet that need. Sometimes even take money out of our pockets to make sure tractors are fixed and back online or implements are being replaced when they break. But it's difficult. And it's, it's one of the biggest challenges that we face. And how do you handle that when something breaks? Are disputes a big problem where it's like, well, look, this broke because you weren't operating the equipment correctly, or is it just kind of known if you own it, it's kind of the onus is on you to kind of fix it when something happens? How do you handle sort of that liability component? Yeah, I think that's really where the booking agent comes in, because agriculture is such a a social business. Even with technology, those relationships matter, and it is almost impossible for Hello Tractor to be effective running a purely digital business. But those agents have that relationship capital already built up in their community. They know the growers, they have relationships with the growers, they're trusted. And so they help to kind of serve as that, almost that middleman to help lessen the burn when issues do occur. And they do occur, okay? But because that person is trusted and and they know that Ultimately, they're looking out for their best interests. It reduces the impact, the negative downside when you do have those issues. 
And you also want to work with dealers that have a reputation for high quality service and getting technicians out and keeping their spare parts stocked and that sort of thing as well. And we try and advise our customers on who they should be buying from in a given market and, you know, brands perform differently across different markets. So, Well, you mentioned earlier that most of the countries that you're in, these are cash transactions. So I'm curious, how does Hello Tractor get paid? So we have payments on the platform specifically for the the finance tractors, and we, we have a partnership with MasterCard on that. But we also get paid from the tractor owner. They pay us for our fleet management service. And then for bookings that we organize, we're paid a transaction fee for that as well. Now, Tim, you could have a fleet of tractors and say, you know, Jill, I don't need your booking agents. I already have my guys. They're going out booking farmers for me. You can use our technology to manage those growers, manage your booking agents. It's almost a CRM platform for you in that instance. You know, get your weather forecasting and route planning. And that's a closed network. So we don't even touch your farmers. We don't touch your data. That's that's all your property. Right. And it will never be shared. Or you can say, you know, I have some bookings on my own, but I also I need you to top me up. And that's where we'll come in with our agents to complement maybe gaps that they might have in their route to keep the tractor busy. And this is a logistics game and optimizing your tractor along a pre-planned route. And so we can step in and, and bring you demand when you need it. And we're paying a transaction fee for that. Seems like you are extremely well positioned for, you know, a feature that will likely include autonomous tractors, electric tractors. Is that something you're looking at today or just something that you're kind of keeping in mind for the future? Yeah, we're, we're looking at a is there an electric tractor project that we're in the planning stages for in Malawi right now. Low horsepower. I mean, it's like 35 horsepower. That technology isn't quite there yet, but it's enough for these, these smallholder farmers to, to do things like mechanized planting and some of the transport services. You can do some direct seeding, actually, with these electric tractors. But I think it's really exciting. I think with the autonomous tractors, there's a company out of California, Monarch Tractors. They have infield autonomy and uh, they're electric as well. We're also interested in that type of technology. I think um, for contractors, for example, if you can run a tractor 24 hours a day because it doesn't need an operator, you just doubled your profit, right? Because you can run it at night now. And so that's interesting because now that tractor might be double the the cost and it it quite literally is double the cost of a 75 horsepower you know diesel engine tractor but if you can get double the utilization you get double the profit so the economics make sense and it's better for the environment and some of these machines even have removable batteries that can power a mini grid i mean it's incredible these these folks are much smarter than me i love what they're doing and uh when there's opportunities to incorporate that kind of technology into our marketplace, we jump at it. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, Monarch was definitely one I had in mind. Also, Sabanto, which is they're making some of these small tractors autonomous in, in the U.S., something that could be interesting as well as maybe a stepping stone that way. This is so cool. Maybe talk about 
some of the farmer outcomes. I think there's an obvious savings in labor on the surface here of like, hey, I could pay a tractor to come in rather than me having to do it. But I bet there's probably some pretty big productivity increases that can come with mechanization. Maybe could you share an example or two of like, when you think about the impact this is having on farmers, uh, what comes to mind? If you just look at productivity alone, all farmers are mechanizing across the production cycle. Usually it's around land prep. But let's just take something like deep ripping, for example, within maize. A farmer that just rips versus their traditional, you know, manual or, or disc plow and broadcasting their seeds, you're looking at roughly 3.4, 3.5 ton increase. And that might not seem like a lot in the U.S. because what we get on a field is significantly higher. But in Africa, you know, you're looking at around one and a half tons. So if you can get that up to five tons, you've just doubled your income. That's significant. And these are folks who are living, again, at or below the poverty line. That's 87 percent of our customers living at or below the poverty line. And so when you can two and a half times their their revenue just by incorporating something like deep ripping, which is also climate smart and, you know, giving your plants access to groundwater and in some instances, keeping some cover crops on the field and crop residues on the field. That's immediate value for them. And the irony is some of these practices, not only are they good for the environment, but they're also cheaper. That's kind of what blows my mind. And if so, you have the equipment. If you have the equipment. And that, and that's where some of the things like the tractor finance product where you're financing into demand that's being created comes in. Even just finding dealers of some of this equipment in the market can sometimes be challenging. We have some here and different countries offer different things. Jahil, this has been awesome. I really have enjoyed this interview. You know, as you know, shows called Future of Agriculture. So as you think about, you know, the coming decade or two, the future of agriculture in Africa and the ag tech scene in Africa, you know, what comes to mind as, as opportunities and developments that you're excited about as you look forward? Well, I think um, there's some opportunities to collapse the machine supply chain. I think there's a lot of fingers in that pot. And uh, I think with better data, better insights coming out of the growers' fields. You know, big OEMs like John Deere can sit around the table and, you know, quarter after quarter say, look, this is how many acres we have engaged in Nigeria. This is how much equipment needs to be replaced. And they can make sales decisions based on that insight. That's, I think, the future of these supply chains. And then I think, you know, there's a lot of hype around Web 3.0 and crypto and all that fancy stuff. And there may be merit to that. There may not be. But I do think there's a lot of merit to distributed autonomous organizations that automate what co-ops have been doing for centuries and distributing the treasury for those co-ops, making sure that value is aligned to the grower and not everybody getting paid but the grower. And I think technology can play a role in bringing that coordination so that the growers have more of a voice in these value chains that they're participating in. And I do think that things like DAOs, these distributed autonomous organizations, can help to facilitate that. 
And um, I think you're going to see some exciting things in those areas in the near future. All right. One last question I'll try to squeeze in here, you know, for an audience that the majority of the audience is in North America. I think we're somewhere around 70% in North America. What would you want to impart on them to better understand, you know, Africa in terms of agriculture and ag tech? What would you like to make sure everybody understood a little bit better? You know, what's interesting is that when you look at a farmer in the middle of Iowa or Rwanda, the culture of farming and is there something about being close to the land is very similar. Number one, I think there's opportunities to build bridges based on that common ground. And I also think that it's important for the listeners in North America to know that, you know, Africa is open for business and there's a lot of opportunity. I could still be working in investment banking in the U.S., but I got to say, this job is so much more fulfilling. I think there's way more upside. Even just if you looked at it commercially, there is way more upside. You know, the Cargills of the world do not exist in Africa yet. Literally, Cargill does not exist functionally in Africa yet, right? Not in a meaningful way. And so when you think about opportunities and upside in a market, you can participate in markets where 99% of what's there is pretty well established and there's not a whole lot of room for really transformative growth, just innovation around the edges. Or you can be in a market where it's a complete greenfield and you're in the early stages of building the first Cargill or ABN AMRO or, you know, John Deere. And that's exciting. Like, yes, there are going to be challenges, but the upside far exceed the risk. And that's the arbitrage kind of risk trade that I made when I took my career over to Sub-Saharan Africa, and I don't regret it. Man, what an inspiring story. Thank you so much to Jahil Oliver for being on today's show. I really do love hearing about the work that Hello Tractor is doing. Learn more at their website, hellotractor.com. And if you'd like to listen to more, the full interview I did with Jahil was released a couple of weeks ago to the FOA community. You could join that over at patreon.com forward slash agriculture. I'd also like to give a special shout out to Rishi Pete, who writes one of my favorite newsletters, Software is Feeding the World. He profiled Jahil back in July, which was part of the inspiration for getting him on today's episode. I highly recommend you subscribe to his newsletter. It's his first initial and last name. So that's R-P-E-T-H-E.substack.com. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Thanks so much for your time and your attention. I never take it for granted. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Ag innovation.